0: Thank <music> you. Kilimo, the first and the only podcast dealing with issues related to agriculture in the African continent. This podcast, again, I repeat, is the first and the only podcast on African agriculture. And in this podcast we will be dealing with different issues related to African agriculture covering the whole continent, all the countries and as many issues and problems and challenges we can cover. Our aim is to discuss African agriculture and present with some credible solutions which are applicable to the African continent. We will be calling experts, we will be calling practitioners, we will be calling farmers in our forum and Africa Kilimo will be the one-stop source for African agriculture information. My name is Neeraj and I am a student of agriculture. I did my bachelor's degree in agriculture and animal husbandry and then went on to do agricultural economics at the postgraduate level. My co-host is Ashutosh Malik.
1: Excellent. This is something that is very close to our hearts. Uh, you have spent so much time in Africa while working here. I have been living here for, for a few years now, traveled across the continent. And um, all of us understand that Africa is the future of the world. Uh, billion plus population growing at a very fast pace. Billion plus. Actually, the estimate is that now we are 1.6 billion. And uh, with the birth rates being higher than at any other place in the world, we will have a large population, we have to look at how that will be fed, we have to look at nutritional issues, we have to look at employment, we have to look at youth getting employed, women getting employed, we have to look at various issues and I think this can be an interesting opportunity for us to work together and create a coherent approach, talking to experts from within Africa, stakeholders, decision makers, so that we can actually make a difference.
0: In fact, in the excitement to start the podcast, I just forgot to introduce ourselves and I am Neeraj, graduate of agriculture and then I uh, did my post-graduation in agricultural economics and have been in the field of development economics uh, for nearly two, two and a half decades and have worked in Indian states across uh, India, have also worked in Afghanistan, have worked in Kenya, Malawi. On agricultural projects, implementing them, appraising them, monitoring them and even doing impact evaluations. So it's a whole range of activities which I did related to agricultural projects, both large projects, small projects and very, very large projects running into millions of dollars. So that is the kind of uh, background I have. Uh, My friend Ashu, he is basically an engineer who went on to do his uh, master's from a very reputed institution in India, the Indian Institute of Management, Calcutta. And it is better, let him explain what uh, his background is.
1: True. So, uh, thanks Neeraj. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so, uh, interestingly, uh, over my uh, 22 decades plus of experience, um, I've been an entrepreneur for almost two decades. Uh, I've set up Startups in India with presence outside India uh, in Africa, in Kenya, in Pakistan. I have been living in Africa for the last um, almost three years now. I've I've lived in Rwanda, then I've traveled across Tanzania, Kenya, uh, Zambia, and Uganda, and of course, uh, recently I shifted to Nigeria. So there is another country in West Africa that I am going to explore now. And my experience on the entrepreneurial sides, uh, other than, of course, the companies that I worked with as a a manager earlier, has been that I started a training and development firm in India in 2010. Oh, sorry, 2000, approximately 2000, 2001. And we worked for almost 10 years where we were working with corporates across India. And uh, more interestingly, we had a division which was focusing on youth employment and, and ensuring that Uh, We are preparing our youth, particularly those from rural areas and semi-urban areas, on enhancing their employability. Uh, Thereafter, from 2011, I started a technology firm. I co-founded a technology firm. And there, we were working with a very interesting technology, which was impacting directly the largest retail segment in India, uh, which are called the neighborhood. uh, The name in India is called Kirana stores, but basically they are neighborhood small mom and pop uh, stores who uh, work with their community so we were creating technology for a store to run itself completely using a mobile phone Uh, and uh, that technology found customers across uh, in Pakistan as well as Kenya so we had these entrepreneurs with whom we were partnering and they were the ones who then took our technology and thereafter I gained a lot of experience and perspective on Africa as well so Africa is close to our hearts, both Neeraj, you and your and mine. And I'm sure um, there's a lot of value that you can add. And your experience in agricultural economics and NABARD is something I'm sure that is at value, Neeraj.
0: Yes, uh, I started my career as a teacher at university and then went on to join NABARD, the National Bank for Agriculture and Rural Development, as an uh, agricultural economist. And I was handling appraisal of agricultural projects. Basically, NABARD is an institution which gives loans to the banks and to the state government it's basically a refinancing agency the largest one and the only one in india so it gave a chance to handle large projects running into hundreds of crores means in millions of dollars if so to say and impacting thousands of lives in each project and nabad there was also an insight to see the ground level reality of the indian agriculture how it impacts the life of a farmer and when doing project in africa later on i saw similar situation or similarities uh, in african agriculture and that is uh, what excites me to see that there is a lot of potential uh, which can be exploited yeah please carry on.
1: no no i'm just i'm just saying that your exp- and given that um, in india we are talking of a population which is 1.4 billion approximately there is a lot of learning potentially that can come from india from the africa perspective as well because we are talking of, in India we are talking of 25 states and some of these states, for example, the state of Uttar Pradesh in India has a population of 200 million plus. So, there is a, there is a humongous opportunity there uh, to be able to add value because of the scale that we are talking of.
0: Yes, Ashu, and in fact, uh, that is one of the challenges of the African agriculture also. If we talk of, when we are saying African agriculture... Per say we are referring to the whole continent as such and this continent is so huge that it's unimaginable for a normal person because the area of africa that the top top 30 countries basically will be required to match the area of africa that is how large it is and and i'm sure when we start inquiring further discussing further and researching further Many more new aspects come out, and this is here where your analytical skills, which you must have learned, I am, would be coming into play. And I think I am C, I am Calcutta, so to say, or Kolkata now, must have been a great learning experience for you, Ashu. Is it not?
1: Absolutely, absolutely, and uh, there is certainly. Uh, given that both of us go back uh, all 30 years plus when we, we were in college, actually 35 years, 30 to 35 years, uh, there is a lot that we have learned in our institutions and there is a lot that we have learned over, our, over the years of decades of experience. For example, your, your experience at with the Agri projects with ICICI Bank, I'm sure there is a, uh, there is a very interesting perspective that you, you could bring in from there. The kind of project that you were working on at ICICI Bank, which is one of the, which is probably the largest private sector bank in India, Neeraj? Yes,
0: Ashu. In fact, at ICICI, the perspective was entirely different. In NABARD, it was more like a government-driven approach where welfare is at the uh, forefront. The same thing was with ICICI, but it was more focused on the return to investment or profits Mm -hmm. so when I joined ICICI there was a new division which was formed it was known as development strategy group and I was the business unit head of development strategy group and the main purpose of this group was basically to formulate projects for farmers and lend them directly with something which ICICI Bank had never done Mm -hmm. so I was involved in developing new projects formulating them and I had a wonderful team which was working fantastically good on microfinance, on fisheries, on horticultural uh, projects, on infrastructure projects, on financing agri-business. We had a USAID fund also to manage. It was a $20 million fund, which was a legacy from old ICICI. It came to us, so I was managing that fund also. It was a fairly normal experience, but a very enriching one because here we were trying to see the impact on the farmers directly. We are lending to them and seeing the returns in one to two years, which was like fantastic. The gestation period was low. The returns were good. And that program still continued. And if you recall, when we met at Mumbai and you had come for some training or something of your startup, if you recall, then oh, yeah. I was
1: talking about... It yeah, it's been some time now.
0: <laughs> yes. And at that time, possibly you were transiting from the training uh, startup to a different startup, which you had mentioned, the uh, Aram shop, the retail startup, which had, and you had started working something in Kenya also.
1: Oh, yes. Uh, 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 um, that. And uh, it is the, uh, as I mentioned earlier, a young entrepreneur in Kenya, uh, she reached out to us and then she uh, started using our technology with stores in Nairobi. So yeah, that project had a lot of potential for scale. And in fact, now that it has been acquired by Reliance Jio in India, it is being scaled up from to uh, two millions of stores now. Uh, but I actually wanted to step back a bit and uh, talk also about your experience when you just mentioned ICICI Bank and microfinance. I think that would have a very interesting impact on uh, potential discussions with respect to Africa because as both of us have been uh, experiencing, reading and and working and talking to people, we realize that uh, investments in agriculture is a very important element to bring about the growth of African agriculture, right? Yes, yes. In fact, uh,
0: the key challenges which Africa faces, if we just sum up in uh, short, are the investment lack of investments lack of entrepreneurship lack of training and african agriculture basically being small holder agriculture or dominated by family farms the invest public investment in agriculture becomes uh, quite important and mm-hmm. also the and also the capacity building of the farmers where will this investment go how will it come back how will it help the farmers that is the thing which we want to Basically investigate and uh, bring forth in this forum that these are the avenues, these are the things which will happen. Because with a growing population, the food production has not been keeping pace with the population uh, growth. And that is where the concern is. So the agriculture must keep on growing to keep pace with the growing population. And I say Mm -hmm. this because the countries lack capital, lack capital to uh, import food products or uh, food On a continuous basis, so that dependence on imports will have to be curtailed. And that can can be curtailed only by uh, developing agriculture. That is uh, how I feel.
1: And uh, connected to that is, uh, and the important point you made is about the imports, Um, we should actually spend a bit of time on that. Because I have realized that the forex reserves of each country are already under pressure. And current times, for example, I am in Nigeria and uh, with the oil prices becoming so low it is starting to have a uh, put a lot of pressure on the budget uh, it will put a pressure on the budget because oil is a very important revenue source for the government of Nigeria so and similarly they it will it will have impact on trade at least for some time so obviously if we look at long-term strategic perspective we need uh, and given that Africa has such a large land mass uh, there is a huge potential to turn the story around to a surplus to potential exports. And the other aspect of that is poverty, because it is the poor people who also have the uh, are in a, unable to feed themselves. So while the small farmers are there, the farmholders are probably just growing the product produced for their own for their own use. Uh, but they can't invest in improving productivity. They can't invest in uh, enhancing, uh, making it more intensive. So when we look at and then we have these growing populations. So we have these young people who are probably coming out of rural areas, coming to urban areas because they are not getting enough working opportunities there. So it's a very interesting mix of problems to solve. It? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. In fact, what happens is uh, when we talk of growth
0: in agriculture, it is not only investment in the inputs to grow a crop, but also to build capacities of the farmers and capacities of the youth within the vicinity of the farms. Most of the farms as of now are basically uh, subsistence farms. That means whatever they grow is generally consumed on the farm itself and marketable surplus is very less. So the aim is to increase the marketable surplus. Only if this marketable surplus increases, will the imports decrease. That is the kind of approach we have to take. And it has to encompass employment generation in the rural areas by mechanization of agriculture, by providing ancillary and auxiliary services to agriculture. There is a whole gamut of services uh, which can be taken up within the rural areas, within the vicinity of the farm communities in Africa. And uh, as you said, food uh, security situation is... On the edge, still under control, but things may not be so for the years to come. So, intensive agriculture, stall feeding of animals, pastoral lifestyle has to be uh, now much more settled. So, that's that's the kind of approach which has to be taken. Because 80% of the farmers are family, uh, own family farms only.
1: Right, and, right.
0: And the... the, the uh, uh, size of these farms is less than two hectares
1: mm-hmm. that is again
0: that, that is again a challenge when we want to scale up agricultural production and
1: this so is something will play a role there Neeraj? is that something to one of the areas to think of and talk about later on maybe
0: oh yes farm that is the thing I was coming to farmer producer organization is one where we can uh, show the farmers that collective, tilling of farms collective uh, procurement of inputs collective marketing will be beneficial to the farmers who are part of this uh, farmer producer organization
1: so, so basically is, from the farm to the home or to the table there is an entire value chain that has to be moved up to be and reduce losses at the farm and so on and so forth refrigerated warehouses warehouses tracking you you, you in fact worked on a warehouse project right what was that? About? Yes, yes, yes.
0: This warehouse project was basically the setting up of transaction registry of the e-transaction e registry for the warehouses mm-hmm. of warehouse receipts. That it's something like this that a farmer comes, puts the produce of his farm in a warehouse which is certified by the government, and mm-hmm. the warehouse issues a slip and of that such and such produce of such and such quality has been stored with us. So farmer can take that receipt and trade that on an electronic platform to somebody else who wants to buy that kind of product with that kind of quality. So it is known as the e-transaction and there's a national electronic exchange on warehouse receipts itself which was set up. And I had basically made the base document to set this e-registry or e N R L as they call it now, Electronic National Receipt Registry and it's up and working in India for last I think one year or so. So that's how it is. And after I left ICICI, I was part of the Royal Bank of Scotland as uh, Vice President. And then I uh, was looking after the development projects, financing development related projects, which were okay. closely linked to environment. So, environment ah, that's development. Very interesting. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. So there were projects in the uh, Sariska Tiger, near Sariska Tiger Reserve, uh, near uh, the Ranthambore Tiger Reserve. Mm-hmm. Two of our very prominent projects were in Ladakh. One was protecting domestic animals from snow leopards. The other one was to promote building artificial glaciers so that the farmers in the icy regions of Ladakh, the northernmost point of India, mm-hmm. are able to get water when there is water scarcity. That is, oh, very after interesting. The, yeah, after the winter's sees, there is a gap uh, before the water flows in June. Mm-hmm. So the four months are these people are deprived of water because the glaciers melt and that water takes time to reach the lower region. So, saying, so there was a project which was uh, basically designed to capture water, make artificial glaciers. And something of this sort was on a different scale, in a different weather condition, was done in Africa. That was basically a water management project, which mm-hmm. I later on.
1: That's interesting. You talked of environment and in fact, uh, one of the areas of a challenge that Africa will face will be the environment challenge. In fact, involving of natural resources, ecosystems in connection with the pressure on land, the climate change. So that's another aspect itself that will have an impact on African agriculture and its growth and how we should plan for it.
0: Yes, in fact, what has happened is African agriculture generally was a pastoral agriculture kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. But now with development taking place, income rising, the governments have also started allotting land to the farmers. So it's more like a settled agriculture. Especially in the case of Maasai, that was a problem because these people migrate along with the rains. As the rains move from east to west, they move. Migrate from Mozambique to Kenya to Tanzania, even towards Uganda, and then come back along with the rain. Along and they migrate along with their livestock, the animals and everything. So after the governments have started allotting land, they have started having a more settled life, and that is a difficulty because for thousands of years they have been migrating. Now they have to cope up with this settled life. That is again a challenge. And during the work which I did in Africa, came across a couple of very good examples which we'll be discussing of maasai adopting settled life and making good profits from agriculture in mm-hmm. this was specifically in kenya okay so that is if you recall while i was in nairobi
1: once you had come for
0: setting up that kenyan venture you had mentioned Right, right
1: oh yes I, yes our our partner in kenya i had gone to meet her that's right yeah, I, I wonder
0: what has happened now maybe uh, you need to follow up and see what's happening right <laughs>
1: yeah that had, we had moved on from there once we got acquired in india but right. uh, but you're right that is when our past paths had crossed uh, when you were working on that project in kenya In fact, um, another thing that just struck me, Neeraj, and you mentioned, you have alluded to this in some way when you talked of various issues in Africa, Uh, you know, Africa has, African countries uh, have joined together to sign the African continental free trade area and uh, when we are talking of imports and when we are talking of production of agriculture given that hopefully this thing will move forward and the countries will be able to come together on various issues now that it's been signed and almost all countries of Africa if I'm not wrong are now a part of it That another that is another area where which can have an interesting impact particularly keeping in mind that there might be some countries which have a large population pressure while on the other hand there will be some so therefore large density per unit area but on the other hand there will be countries in Africa which are not very highly populated and therefore have a large arable land where food produce can be can be grown is that a possibility and
0: yes yes it is in
1: fact there is an
0: organization which was formed in 2003 and it is known as comprehensive african agricultural development program the caadp and it is basically an omnibus program which covers uh, sub-regional programs east africa one the central africa one the southern africa one the western africa and so on and so forth and uh, when somebody talks of africa As I said earlier, they possibly, the the general people I'm talking, not of the experts and the practitioners, they have a very limited idea of Africa because this is basically continent of continents, so to say. It's huge. It's huge. And the agroclimatic conditions are varying, but generally they are classified as sub-Saharan agriculture, uh, leaving out the top... Uh, most countries, the Arabic speaking countries, 46 out of 54 countries form the sub-Saharan agriculture. That is how uh, generally Mm. the United Nations or the World Bank classify it. Then there is Sahelian agriculture and so on and so forth. So we'll be taking up uh, different challenges one by one issue by issue, country by country and discussing them in Africa Kilimo, our podcast and uh, let's see how the uh, things pan up and I think they'll pan up good and this reminds me I was doing a program, uh, an assignment for Uganda, especially the digital payments in agriculture, just to see whether the Ugandan agriculture is ready or not for having large-scale payment solution in agriculture. Mm -hmm. There's a firm called BFA, which was spearheading it for the UNDP it was very insightful to work on this assignment because it cleared many myths about African digital payments and seeing the uh, situation or the spread of uh, digital payments or acceptability of the digital payments by the farmers at the ground level, the dairy uh, people, the livestock keepers, everybody is so excited to uh, move on to digital payments and most of them prefer digital payments. I think the same situation must be prevailing in Nigeria, Ghana, and nearby areas. Ashut,
1: yeah, sure. And I'm, well, uh, it's uh, early days for me in Nigeria, but I can certainly confirm that uh, when we were so, so Kenya, I worked in this uh, our own um, for, with our own partner in terms of the venture. And Kenya, of course, was the leader. I would say probably leading the world in terms of mobile payments. Uh, I saw the same thing in Rwanda. I saw the same thing in Kenya, or oh, Tanzania. In in Nigeria, uh, what I have seen and observed is that um, transfer of money is the, amongst the easiest things uh, to do. So I think uh, the the number of issues that we have discussed, the potential for African agriculture uh, through our uh, broadcast Africa Kilimo, I think I think we have we are going to have tremendous opportunity to talk to and discuss with um, some of the most important experts in this field, spread across the continent. I'm sure there will be a lot of learning that we will gain and uh, we hope to be able to use this platform to ensure that we are having an impact on the ground working with experts spread across the yes, entire continent. You're right.
0: In fact, what at times looks uh, worrying is that the value of the imports taken together for the African continent is 15 to 20 times, sorry, the value of the exports from the African continent is very, very less. Very, very less. In fact, the total value is just 20% of the uh, total imports. That means it it
1: imports... Five times more than it exports. So there is a huge Absolutely. gap, and that is that is one. And the second bit, interestingly, is that if you were to look at within the continent, that was one of the reasons. There that is, that is one of the figures that I heard when the continental free trade area was being discussed. That uh, and in fact I had attended. A, you know, in Rwanda there is this Rwanda. Uh, there is an organization which has been at, which is headquartered in Rwanda. It's called Smart Africa, and they hold a you know, summit. Uh, in Kigali Rwanda every year uh, it has now a participation of i think 25 plus african countries and in one of the sessions uh, this was uh, this was the year when the continental free trade agreement was signed and i think that was signed in south south africa if i am not wrong in in, in january of uh, uh, 2018 and the discussion that i was having was or was it yeah march of 2018 and uh, i was uh, i was attending this conference in Kigali in april i think and uh, one of the figures talked about was that uh, the intra-Africa trade is exponentially less than... So, within Africa, countries trade less than the import from outside African continent. And yes, that, is an area of, that is certainly an area of concern and therefore an opportunity also. Because as I said, as I have experienced in my life, what is the concern is it can also be turned into an opportunity.
0: Yes, exactly. In fact, um, the major exports from Africa are cocoa, coffee, tea cotton, sugar and fish, shellfish. But most of it is exported in raw form, not the processed form. So there is again a good opportunity for agri-business, agri-processing and so on and so forth. Agri-processing for internal consumptions within African countries and for exports from Africa. And most of the imports are from Europe and other developed nations, draining out the uh, precious foreign exchange. That is That has to stay in the countries and uh, exports have to increase. That is how I see it. Absolutely. And the, the major point is that after agriculture, the development of agriculture as such is not a sufficient condition. This is just one part of the total development scenario because if by agriculture I'm saying uh, the increase in product uh, production and productivity both of crops and livestock. But beyond right. this, there has to be market access. There has to be a value chain approach so that every stage some value is added. And finally, to see that. Part of the consumer's dollar, a large part of that goes to the farmer who produces that produce. That is again a challenge. Agricultural research, there are some fantastic international institutions within the African continent. They have been contributing a lot. Uh, We'll be interacting with some of their administrators and scientists also. And finally, the difficulty is uh, access to credit. Only less than 10% of the farmers have direct and timely availability of credit at their ends. So this is also really seen. So, there's a whole gamut uh, which is to be covered. By and by, we'll do it. No doubt about it. Absolutely. And uh, we'll ask our listeners to send in their suggestions, questions, queries, and uh, whatever they would like to hear. Uh, the feedback to us, please keep writing. And the email is africa.kilimo at gmail.com. I'm repeating, the email is africa.kirimo at gmail.com. Keep uh, writing
1: and we'll be
0: getting back to you.
1: Oh, yes. The only thing that I can say is that this is a this is an exciting start for us, both you and me. And we hope to have a fascinating journey as we move forward and talk to experts within Africa from the entire continent, various stakeholders, customers, uh, service providers, farming organizations. I think I, I we've we got a long way to go, and um, excited to be a part of this journey. And as you mentioned, uh, we would keep requesting our listeners to keep writing to us at africa, africa.kilimo, k i l i m o, at gmail.com. And uh, we look forward to having your queries, questions, views, suggestions, and feedback. Thank you.
0: Africa. Kilimo. Website is coming up soon and we'll keep you posted on that. Till then, keep writing. Thank you. Bye-bye from both of us. Bye. Take care.